is an Odyssey original. This is Coronavirus Daily. I'm Charles Feldman. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in Los Angeles. President Biden announcing a new plan for the pandemic that'll let people take the antiviral drugs after testing positive at the pharmacy and for free. Test to treat is what it's called. We'll talk about how they want it to work. Did you notice the faces at the State of the Union? Masks were not required in the House chamber last night. Looked like pre-pandemic life. We'll look into whether it's a signal that lawmakers and the administration are ready to move on from COVID. We start with a new approach to managing COVID outbreaks and critical illnesses, a program the White House is calling Test to Treat. Dr. Michael Hogue, Dean of the School of Pharmacy at Loma Linda University. Let's see if I have this right. Uh, you're not feeling well. You head to a neighborhood pharmacy where they hopefully have available COVID testing. And if you test positive, they hopefully have antiviral drugs, which have been in short supply. Well, thanks for having me on. Um, let me kind of clarify what was not necessarily in the details. Um, uh, there are some of the nation's largest pharmacy chains that have uh, worked with the Biden administration to uh, change the way that these oral antivirals are distributed. So currently, the oral antivirals from Pfizer and elsewhere go to the state departments of health, and then the state determines where those are distributed, and they're, they're parsed out over a very large area. What's been proposed is that ch pharmacy chains like CVS, Kroger, Walgreens, Walmart, uh, those pharmacy chains would actually receive the drugs directly from the manufacturer and not through the state allocation which in theory should make those uh, antiviral pills a little more easily available. Here's the catch. Not every one of those chain locations will be able to provide this because the, the plan that's currently being, uh, we're learning more about even just today, is that it will be only in those pharmacies that are co-located with a clinic. So in other words, um, if there is a CVS Minute Clinic or a Kroger Well uh, visit uh, station inside the pharmacy where a nurse practitioner or physician assistant is actually seeing patients uh, alongside uh, the pharmacy there. Uh, those are the locations uh, in which uh, you would be able to come into a pharmacy and receive this. So it would not be every corner drugstore, unfortunately. Uh, it would be limited to just those locations. It's about 4,000 sites uh, uh, nationally. And to kind of give you perspective on that, there are 60,000 pharmacies in the United States. So this is about 4,000 pharmacy sites. Will not probably will improve access, but will certainly not reach every community. So it's going to be like just basically if you had gotten a doctor's appointment anyways, or went to the urgent care, because you're going to have to see the nurse or somebody there to test and then get your pills that kind of a way. There's no question that you'll still have to have an appointment. Uh, there's no there's no way that uh, these uh, pharmacies will be able to accept walk-up um, uh, requests for testing or for the antivirals. Uh, just given uh, the sheer time it takes to be able to do these things, uh, trying to have crowd control during outbreaks, of course. And, and then as you mentioned at the outset of this segment, uh, uh, the limited quantities of the antivirals that are available, we definitely don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. We want to make sure we have available what's there. But 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 here's a, a potential concern. Uh, I mean, these, as you know, these viral pills, uh, especially the one from from Pfizer, ones from Pfizer, 
They're very complicated, as I understand it. They they have a fairly high uh, side effect profile, depending on other meds that you may or may not be uh, taking. And this process uh, cuts the if you have a family physician, some people don't, I, I got that, but if you do have a family physician, it cuts your doctor out of the the process. And many doctors, as you know, are still upset that they were pretty much cut out of the vaccination process, partly because of the way the vaccines were you know, manufactured and they needed certain conditions. But uh, here again, we have a situation where if you do have a doctor, you don't go to your doctor, you now have to go to a pharmacy, find the one that has a, a clinic, Go to the clinic, get prescribed these pills from somebody who has probably never met you before, may or may not be familiar with your medical history. I mean, isn't there a better way to do this? Well, you have brought up a great point, and I think it's worth kind of looking into this a little more carefully. We have become such an instant gratification society that we we expect that everything that we do uh, is going to every need that we have is going to instantly be met. And and frankly, uh, it's not a wise thing for us to think that our health care is going to be instantly met. I mean, our our health, our well being, it's our whole person. It's it's what we need to be certain that the the care we're getting is absolutely the best. I do have a high degree of confidence in pharmacists in specific locations who have have relationships with the people that they take care of, who know their health and well-being, that those pharmacists could do a great job at managing this drug therapy, just as their physician can do a great job at at, uh, managing the drug therapy. What concerns me is what you just stated is that uh, you know when, when we try to put everything through a standardized process and we don't allow for individuals to seek medical care from the sources where they uh, want to seek it from, that, that creates a problem. And so we do need to make sure. Here's my message to everyone who's listening to this program. Um, you need to know you need to have a personal physician. First of all, that's bottom line. If you don't have a personal physician, get ones. Number two, if you don't personally know your pharmacist, go to the pharmacy, introduce yourself and make sure they know who you are and tell them that you want to make sure that the medicines you're getting are the ones that work best with your other medications. And that's essential because if you have to have Paxlovid, uh, this Pfizer product, you, you want to make sure that, that, you do, that there's somebody paying attention to the dosing to make sure your, your kidney function is what it needs to be, to make sure you don't have serious drug interactions. Uh, pharmacists are well-equipped and trained to do that, but you need to have the confidence that the person you're working with knows you and has that relationship. Dr. Michael Hogue, Dean of the School of Pharmacy, Loma Linda University. The Biden administration and a lot of Democrats across the country for two years now have been heavily criticized for so-called virtue signaling when it comes to COVID. Stuff like wearing masks outdoors when they probably weren't necessary for protection. There was some strong signaling coming out of the scene from President Biden's State of the Union address last night, but signals of a changing approach to the pandemic. 
Masks were not required for the members of Congress watching the speech in the House chambers. The president acknowledged Americans are tired, frustrated, exhausted with the pandemic. But there is that new poll from yesterday shows a majority of Americans actually support some restrictions moving forward. They don't think the pandemic is over. Joining us now is Dr. Jeffrey Klausner, professor of population and public health sciences at the Keck School of Medicine of USC. Uh, so, Dr. Mask or not to mask is increasingly turning into a a personal preference, but will one-way masking still be effectively protective? Right. And I think, you know, people um, are concerned about what they saw, you know, on on television with the unmasked, you know, uh, political leaders. But the reality is it's no longer 2020. So in March 2022, we're in a very different place. We're in a place where we have surveillance, which means we have ongoing monitoring of where infections are occurring. We have testing. So we have more testing available than ever, ever before. We have vaccination. We have, you know, more than two thirds in some place, 75% of the population vaccinated among people over 65, you know, 90% of people over 65 are vaccinated, which means they might not be protected from infection, but they're protected against serious disease and hospitalization. And we have treatment. So um, we have medications that if you get it early, those medications will prevent you from going to the hospital. So do you think then that uh, the message, and, and, and I will submit uh, to you that, uh, that nothing in Washington happens by accident. Even dumb things don't happen quite by accident. Everything is pretty much planned. So it was deliberate on the part of these political leaders to make a statement of their own and collectively at that uh, by not wearing masks. Do you think, though, that that was a good message to give to the American people? Yes, I think it was a message that was important to show that we are in a different place now in the, uh, in the epidemic, that we have a variety of tools in place. We have tools that can prevent serious disease, and we've shifted our strategy away from doing everything possible to prevent the spread of infection, which included you know, lockdowns, capacity limits, uh, school closures, mass mandates. And now we've shifted to a place where we're going to prevent people from serious disease and dying because we have the tools. So we're in a different place. So and a different place requires different tools. And, you know, I was very encouraged by uh, when Biden mentioned this test and treat model and putting the medications uh, in the pharmacy so that people didn't necessarily have to go to a doctor to get a prescription. As soon as they tested positive, they can go to designated pharmacies and immediately pick up the treatment. So how do we ease people into this who are still, you know, I've not eaten in a restaurant or I don't go to the movies or I wear my mask everywhere? Or is this just a matter of time for, you know, because you've got obviously a whole spectrum. You've got the Super Bowl and then you've got people who still don't eat indoors. And is it kind of just still to each their own? But you know what, if we go through a couple more months, there may not even be the options to get the outside all the time, whether you want it or not. Well, yeah, I think, you know, with time, people will, you know, feel more comfortable, they'll have less direct experience of, you know, uh, friends and family getting sick or going to the hospital. I mean, in Los Angeles County, there are still, you know, unfortunately, people dying every day, Um, but there are definitely fewer people uh, going to the hospital and our hospitals are not filled up um, as they once were with people with COVID. So as people's real lived experience changes, they'll be more comfortable, you know, going back to 
quote normal. But again, that normal is never going to be a 2020 situation because that normal now is a place also where 96% of Americans have antibodies to COVID, antibodies either from recovery from infection or due to vaccination. And that means the entire population is at much lower risk for serious disease or hospitalization. But we have created uh, two different distinct worlds, have we not now? I mean, there are more and more stories just about every day, and I'm sure you're aware of that, of people who feel left behind in this emergence from the pandemic, people who are immunocompromised, people who have different ailments or on certain meds, and, and they're not building up antibodies because of the vaccination. And so they still feel as if they have to live this cloistered life while they watch the State of the Union and 400 people are hugging and kissing as if nothing has ever happened. Yes and yes. And, uh, you know, people who are severely immunocompromised typically uh, are aware of that because they're under, you know, medical treatment and medical care. So they're severely immunocompromised because they have, you know, a, a condition like cancer that they're being treated for, that they're getting certain medications that suppress their immune system. And we actually have antibodies that um, people can get infusions of antibodies that will protect them from infection for up to six months. Um, th those individuals can get medications um, if they do test positive or uh, develop signs of illness to keep in their medicine cabinet. So as an infectious disease doctor, when I'm counseling and taking care of people who are immunocompromised, I educate and I teach them how to protect themselves. And one way is they have the medication they need in their medicine chest. They have home tests available. They recognize their signs and symptoms. And unfortunately, that's the reality of living in an immunocompromised state. Dr. Jeffrey Clauser there, Keck School of Medicine, USC. Doctor, thank you as always. We end today's Coronavirus Daily with a story about pandemic fatigue from a corner of the world that was at one point working lockstep to keep COVID cases as rare as possible. In New Zealand, the country that has been among the most regimented and disciplined in the world in carrying out COVID restrictions, protesters mimicking tactics we've seen play out in Canada have blockaded the country's parliament building in Wellington. Protesters and police clashed today as they attempted to clear out rows of tents, cars and trucks that had been set up around New Zealand's parliament. Protesters had been set up there for over three weeks demanding an end to emergency measures to address coronavirus outbreaks. This comes when the island nation, which at several points during the pandemic had completely snuffed out infections, is in the midst of its worst surge in cases. Omicron battering them right now. 400 people hospitalized, 22,000 new infections a day, previously unheard of numbers for those people in New Zealand. You can find this Odyssey original on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Thank you.